0: Hello, only me, Graham Norton. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. This week on the show, Jimmy Doherty joins me in the studio to give us an insight into his new book, Jimmy's Farm. Sir David Jason has a new Christmas book, The Twelve Dells of Christmas. Gareth Malone is on tour with Sing with Gareth. And DJ Spoonie tells us about our very own Virgin Radio documentary, Story of the Four Aces Club in Hackney. There's a round of guests the guest. And because it's Halloween weekend, show chef Martha carves out a pumpkin and... Tells us what we can do with it. Yeah, there's a treat. And we'll be putting our heads together to solve your dilemmas in Graham's Guide.
1: Here's Maria to tell us more. How are you? No dancing today. No dancing today, Scissor Sisters. Uh, uh, are you OK? Yes, thank you. I'm wearing a brace around my middle, not for weight loss, Graham, but for a sort of back injury. Oh, no. Because I moved in and then I carried heavy bags and that was stupid. But this morning has brought me great joy because at East Croydon Station, where I had to change trains... Well, did you not did your own train not come through no with that? it's no. still waiting for the paperwork to come oh, through <laughs> red tape what's going oh, wrong with red this red tape <laughs> yes but so i saw two beautifully turned out jedi warriors oh yes um which made me delighted with life because um <laughs> you know they just they were going off to the comic con which is the star wars thing at xl arena and they were so brilliantly turned out and one had sort of bluey gray hair <laughs> And they did some Jedi sort of talking for me. I didn't really understand. But uh, that gave me joy. And also... I love this country. There was a lady uh, on a different station, <laughs> many changes of train, who was all dressed up in a sort of... Min- well, she was a middle-aged lady, in a kind of suit, ta- trouser suit, as though she was going to work, a la Hillary Clinton, with oh, yeah. a briefcase. We,
0: that, that painted a very good picture good, there. Just the, the word of Hillary Clinton. Yes. We saw exactly what she was wearing.
1: Yes. and then, But then the addition of two massive wings made of feathers on her back... I would have gone and asked her about it because, as you know, Graham... Yes. I'm very nosy, but the train came in. Can I just say... Are you on heavy medication for pain? <laughs> no, I did see... That does see th- sound like you're just elucidating on your way to work. I did see the Jedi and I did see the angel I, lady. I did see an office space lit angel <laughs> who was going to change into her high heels when she got to work. Who looked like Hillary Clinton. Um, and then I also watched your show on the train, which was lovely. Oh, it was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah. Oh, Taylor Swift. Mad love for Taylor Swift. Yeah. She seems very ordinaire. Well, like, she And she hung out afterwards. We had a chat afterwards. Yeah, and I she was, really she was lovely. liked her. And then, of course, I watched Eddie Redmayne's film. And also, um, does Bono want to be sainted, do you think, by the Pope? Well, I mean, the, the weird thing about Bono is he has done it
0: all. It, you he know, has. It's, it's not like... He's raised know, all that money. He has, it is not like the big I am. He has actually done it all. Uh, and that's what you get from the book, is that, you know, the amount... the the hours and the, all the stuff that went on behind the scenes for the for the photo op with the Pope and all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so much tedium of go, going to meetings. You know, lots of thankless, thankless, thankless But stuff. the money
1: he has raised is phenomenal. And, you know, I don't really know about Bono and you two. You two that's not my cup of tea particularly. But I've... I, sorry, Graham. I'm going to say this out loud. I find him a bit hard to like. Well, he himself
0: says that he knows he's quite a divisive character. Character.
1: Oh, yeah. well, that's good. It yeah. that shows a certain self-awareness.
0: Oh, and the book is very self-aware. The book is really self-aware. Oh, he, I might have to get it now. He gets it. You have done yeah. a
1: good job. You have not alienated Bono, as have I, and you have plugged his book.
0: And also, he's not called Bono. Oh,
1: sorry, <laughs> Bono. <laughs> pro Bono. Are you pro Bono or anti Bono? I think
0: oh, no. <laughs> When Andrew Lloyd Webber met him backstage or something, he went, oh, Bono, hello. <laughs> uh, bono. Bano. Uh, Bano. 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 Bano.
1: And your week has been, apart from being very busy...
0: Oh! oh last night! Yes? I, I, I was part of a cavalcade of stars. Were you? Yes, I was at the Royal... Were you the
1: top star? No. No. I so wasn't. Okay, who was the top star? A top star? Probably, probably Benedict Cumberbatch. Okay, yeah. We uh,
0: like him. I appeared on stage with him.
1: Oh, tell me, what was, well, what was the cavalcade I say, of stars? I say
0: with him, he was leaving as I came on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you did a high five as you passed <laughs> on the stage. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's this
0: show they do called Letters Live, where... Oh, yes,
1: you read the letters, uh, yeah. showbiz stars, letters from...
0: Well, I had a very uh, long one from the novelist Joseph Conrad. Oh, yes. And I thought... Heart well, of th- Darkness. And I thought, if they gave it to me, is it funny? And I was looking at it I. I don't think this is funny. And then I was saying to people backstage, I've got a letter and I don't even know it's funny or serious. Anyway, I read it aloud. Turns out it's serious. Very, very serious. Oh,
1: OK. I was <laughs> going to say, when you read something aloud, people actually laugh, don't they? Oh, not last night. No, nice. they didn't. No, They no,
0: didn't.
1: Turns out, Jessica Conrad, not a humorist. Uh, <laughs> but did the, did the audience give you thunderous applause for worthiness, at least? Oh, the applause,
0: Mary. <laughs> I could, have, I could have surfed the wave of love coming from that. I wish you had have done. You
1: would have done your back in two and then <laughs> we would be twins. Uh, but
0: it was a really good night. Benedict Cumberbatch, uh, Sue Perkins was, was there. Was it for charity? Jonathan Price. Yes, Choose Love was the big charity that it was attached to. Thank you. I, they, 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 they do different charities and they, they raise, they've raised lots of money. And, uh, but it was, a, it was a really fun night. And, I,
1: and a starry, you know, starry night.
0: Oh, Jonathan
1: Price was oh, there. We like him. Yes. Isn't he Prince Charles? Charles, or is he in the Crown? No, he's not Prince Charles. He's Prince Philip. That's right. Thank you.
0: Yeah, well done. Uh, he's filming uh, season six at the moment. Oh wow! have to tell me it's as, the
1: final series.
0: As we uh, waited backstage, you know, because I was chatting.
1: Were people pimping to come and do your show? <laughs> were they going, "Hi, Graham. I've got lots to talk about and such funny anecdotes."
0: Well, were they wrong? Virgin Radio.
1: This is quite a long letter, the first one, Graham. So Ooh. if you want to, you could sit back and put your earphones in and listen to <laughs> Harry Styles. I'm hoping he's going to be a segue at some point. <clears throat> Are you ready, dear yes. Graham and Maria? I am 36 and suffering a lot with the change in dynamic of my friendship group since they all started having babies. I live away from my hometown and have built a strong friend group over the last 12 years. We've been each other's support and family. After my studies, I chose to start a business and I haven't been focused on starting a family. I'm not quite sure it's for me. I've celebrated with excitement and joy organising and baby showers, attending weddings and first birthday parties and managed well with the drop-off in availability of my friends. What I am not dealing well with is the realisation that there is no real interest in my life milestones which have come later than theirs. I got married in September. We kept it simple with just parents and siblings. It was blissful and just what we wanted. Since Since then, my friends have barely said congratulations and not expressed any excitement for me and my new husband. I organised to have all the girls over with their babies a week after the wedding for a child-friendly celebration and... All they talked about was their kids, not asking one question about how the wedding went or express any joy for us. What they did ask was when I was joining their club. This has hurt me as my worth to them seems now only based on whether I will have babies and they have no awareness that my life choices are also valid, my life choices, and can be celebrated. It has devastated me to realise that they can cast me aside so easily. I've now withdrawn myself further from the group and I don't feel I actually have any friends anymore. How can I get past this? Trish in Morecambe. Trish in Morecambe, I'm sorry, but... maybe I'm not feeling very generous today, but I would say you're being a bit dramatic about this. This is a kind of, you know, it's the life cycle, Trish, in Morecambe. People get married, they have babies. And can I just say, of course your life is interesting. It's interesting to you. You cannot expect, it's not a given, that other people will find it interesting, especially when they've got new little creatures with their mouths open waiting to be fed or changed or they're reaching milestones in their life. I mean... Having a baby means that you do, as somebody once said, instead of the picture, you become the frame, and the babies are the picture. So that is their life for now. It's all consuming. Um, I'm sure that you you invited them round. You know, I'm sure they were delighted for you. Perhaps a little hurt they didn't get invited to the wedding, but with all those babies, you didn't want them there anyway. Well, no. But like,
0: here's that thing: if you've excluded this friendship Friendship group group from your big day. You know, you are sending a message. And, you know, and and it was a message you wanted to send, Trish, because it was blissful. You had the perfect (laughs) day. You loved your wedding, which is great. That's really good. You you, And because they
1: didn't actually say, you know, how was it? What was it like? What was the best bit? They didn't show interest. Part of that was possibly hurt. And part of it was they don't care. And also, well... They're too tired. They've got babies.
0: Don't care. And also, you made them not care, because to them, it seemed like you didn't care. You know, because you you kept the wedding so small, it's as if you were trying to do it without being noticed. So they chose not to notice. You know, they, they were, you got your wish. Yeah, they got they they were taking their signals from you, Trish. I I think the
1: other you know, it's not all about
0: you, Trish. You know, that's what I mean. It's a little it,
1: overdramatic and indulgent. It's
0: a bit. It's a bit. She is turned. I mean, we all are the center of our own universes. Of course. But I can't. I feel like Trish as her expectations are a bit high for these people because these people, you know, she is not a priority to them. They have babies mm. and, you know, they will be more interested in their babies. I know you're not and and I'm not. And, you know, babies, if they're not yours, quite dull, but they're there so they'll think, be fascinated by I them. I think,
1: Trish, you know, the priority now for you is you've and your. you got your husband, you've got married and it was all lovely. And this, this letter smacks to me of somebody who is... Wrestling with their choices in life, you've decided that babies aren't for you. But you know, what does your husband think? What's what? How have you come to this conclusion? And if this is really your conclusion, um, you know, this is how life will be. It will be other people's babies, and you will have to coo and say, "Aren't they beautiful?" Etc. You've started a business. You're doing really well with the business. You know, that's going to be your friendship group now. I think other people in the business, around the business, but
0: also these can still be your friends, Trish. I think. I think you're making a mistake from withdrawing. Yes, it because, seems
1: very radical. Yeah, because
0: actually, you know, in the fullness of time, when these kids go off to school or you know, you know, even university, which will happen in a heartbeat that's going to be so soon you know you you will still be they may still be your friends but they won't be your friends if you have withdrawn from this group
1: there is no need to withdraw it's too dramatic Trish, to withdraw you just have to accept that their lives are different you have chosen not to be in their club that's all you say to them when they say when are you joining our club the you know when people have babies they want everyone else to have babies obviously because they th- possibly think that they've made a terrible mistake, and they'd like you to make one too. Or they think it's a joyful thing that you would also enjoy. Yeah. So, I mean, it, I, I think you just have to explain to them, I don't think I'm going to have babies, and see how that pans out. They and also, may. But the, 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 I do think the key thing is
0: here: you, you are—you're annoyed they're not celebrating your life milestones, but you didn't invite them to your wedding. So <laughs> you know, it's very hard. Uh, for them to celebrate. And then you had this weird... You know, mothers and baby thing.
1: Yes, for them all to come and uh, coo, coo over you, you, and they didn't. They cooed over the baby because it was a
0: mothers and baby event. Yeah. 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 You
1: should have. T- so I think you know, if I was a psychologist, there's a lot to unpick in this letter, and we don't have sufficient time. Um, as we know, Graham doesn't really care anyway. <laughs> uh- <laughs> no, I quite like this
0: one. I quite like this one.
1: I quite like this one because it is—it's kind of very intense. But I think there will be people. The Virgin Radio listeners will. Uh, be, have situations like this both with the babies and without babies and, yeah, and also
0: I think just Trish a lot of deep breathing Deep breathing, not about me. It's not all about me. And, you know, you'll find your happiness in, in different ways. And maybe these Certainly friends...
1: Certainly find other friends as well as these friends. Yeah, don't, and also, don't, you know, dump uh, them. Yeah,
0: don't dump them. And also life, you know, life is twisty-turny. So these people may come back into your life and you may reconnect And uh, when, the, you know, the baby's a bit grown up.
1: Don't throw out the baby with the bathwater.
0: Now, that's the best thing you've said all day. That <laughs> is the best advice. <laughs> a lot of mothers up and down the land are going, oh... Oh! Mm, yeah, it's time for the grain Bride Responses, part one. That's what they are. And my favourite responders today will be getting <gasps> Waitrose, milk, chocolate, smothered, smothered honeycomb. Hand broken. They didn't use a hammer, they used their hands to break golden honeycomb made in small batches. Small batches? In what sort of pans? Copper pans. Covered with smooth Belgian fair trade milk chocolate. Delightfully sweet with a delicious crunch. Waitress, milk chocolate smothered honeycomb. I might get some on the way home. That sounds delicious. Uh, Right, Carol uh, is on the Norfolk Broads. (gasps) Look out for those two black labs and uh, Arlo, the other one. Trish, you have made your life decisions and chose a career, no children and private wedding. (laughs) I think I like Carol. Your friends' time and energy is on their babies and families at this time. In a few years' time, they will be craving adult company away from their kids and the dynamic of this group will change. Hang on in there whilst enjoying your new husband, business success, and look to make new friends in similar situations. Good luck. Wise words. Sensible, calm words from Carol. Gemma is in Bath. This is the Friendship... Friendship apocalypse, experienced by all women who don't have children, whether by choice or not. It's time to find new friends amongst the child-free group of women out there. There are groups on Facebook and other forums where you can begin to build new connections and friendships. Stay in touch with your old friends, but the reality is their lives have taken a very different path. And I mean... And you can't deny that, you know, it's a huge life change. And it's a big life choice. And yeah, they are kind of heading in a different direction. Uh, and Annie from Horsham Trish, I've been there. Wait until the kids have outgrown the smelly, pukey stage and then become the favourite auntie. You'll get to do all the good stuff with them and then hand them back at the end of the day. Your friends will be so grateful to have a day off from the kids. I mean, that's if you like children at all. <laughs> Uh, Joe from Chester, Trish. Wait till the babies are in year 10 and the friends will be back in touch for you to give them some work experience in your very successful business. They probably will. It'll come full circle. I'm going to give the Waitrose Milk Chocolate Smothered Honeycomb to... um, What was her name? Carol. Carol on the Norfolk Broads. She can walk off the calories. That's what she can do.
1: I'm going to read the second problem of today. It's also a bit long. Dear Graham and Maria, I didn't think I'd ever need your help, but here goes. I started a new job in July this year, which I was really looking forward to, and meeting new people. However, there is one woman in the team, they are a very dysfunctional team, and that is a lot to do with this individual that's in brackets this person has taken an instant dislike to me which is making life very unpleasant i have raised this with human resources who are very aware of this person and the issues around her she has had several complaints about her already a few people have told me how sorry they are that i'm having such trouble with her as they have also had bad treatment from her she has been a key part in at least two people leaving the company in the past by all accounts she is a and unpleasant character with a need to control her environment. When she feels threatened, she is very she is plain nasty. The team members all go along with her, even those who do not like her. This just exacerbates the problem for me. they are too scared to upset her. Management are aware but seem unable and unwilling to do anything. I am close to leaving without another job to go to, which I really don't want to have to do because of what is essentially bullying. Any ideas how to deal with this woman or do I simply cut and run for the sake of my mental health? Health. Management are nice people, but clearly not going to do anything about her. If I leave, how many more will she manage to get rid of? And that is from Yasmin in Reading. Well, Yasmin in Reading, this is a very meaty problem that you've got here. And what on earth are Human Resources doing? I mean, what has she got over this company? Is she really that um, important to them? They can't let her go. It's good that you've spoken to Human Resources, um, Yasmin, in Reading, because it's on record. Also is on record how horrible she's been and she's been responsible for two other people leaving and everybody in the team has felt the wrath of her. I'm going to say the way to deal with a bully, Yasmin, in Reading, is to stand up to her. Now, I don't know if you've got this in you, but next time she comes and says something manipulative or unpleasant, you say to her, I'm going to call her Sue, Sue, we seem to have got off to a bad start. What is wrong with, you know, why don't you like me? Have I I done something to offend you? or are you very unhappy? Bullies are normally very unhappy because they are scared, they are resentful of the fact that they're not further up in the company or that they're not appreciated or that they're very, you know, there's unhappiness at the heart of this. So you say to her, I'm not prepared to accept this behaviour. I really won't accept it from... So when you stand up to a bully, they kind of shrivel because they've got nowhere to go. When they know that they can get away with bullying, of course they're going to do it more. So what? happens after that if she goes to human resources and demands you get fired or you've been mean to her or whatever but you have to do that for your mental health as you say you have to not just leave and leave it with her winning and hopefully when this does go to human resources after you've spoken to her they will side with you for the sake of the rest of the company
0: yeah the other thing bullies hate is being ignored
1: well, that is true, but the, so, in this situation, if you're working with someone, you have to deal with them.
0: Yes, but you know, I, I, but you can also, if you if it if you don't let it affect you, that drives bullies insane as well.
1: So if you go la 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 when she says you've done that wrong, you go isn't it a beautiful day? That kind of thing. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it's like it's like you know, if if a a, a, a waiter is really rude and horrible and mean, a waiter, uh, yes, yeah, leaving a really big tip.
1: Uh, yes.
0: <laughs> I like to do that. Yes.
1: <laughs> um,
0: so I just think, uh, don't try to just suck it up. You've done the thing. I mean, what is the point of human resources if they know this woman is violent, driving people out of the company and they haven't done anything about well, it? Well,
1: because they're frightened and it's now rulings are so difficult yeah. to get rid wonder, of people. I wonder, I mean, maybe,
0: uh, is there a union? I don't know. I mean, but I think su-
1: they will be forced, you know, sometimes human resources have no teeth, but they will be forced to act. to to at least give her a warning or some such um, about this behaviour because if two people have left and everyone's unhappy this is not a good team and you must say this to Human Resources but I also would, I know you're saying ignore her but I would actually just challenge her if you can feel, if you feel up to it, Yasmin, yeah. challenge her and say, "Why? You know, we could all get along. And say, well, life would be so much happier. What? You know, is there anything that I can do to help? Is something going on in your life? Because we don't know. People live lives of mystery, and we don't know what they're suffering." Yeah, but
0: it sounds like not everyone hates this woman. Some people quite like her. Do they?
1: Yeah. Did it say yeah, that? Did yeah, I read that out loud?
0: You did. You did. It, it was in the. It was in the second hour of the letter. <laughs> <laughs> it was the thing that, you know, that even the people on the team who don't like her uh, go along with her so that's just well, that people everybody on the team want,
1: everyone does a line of least resistance right because nobody wants a scene and that's what bullies rely on that nobody wants to challenge and yeah. so if somebody challenges I do think they shrivel I've seen it on Grange Hill
0: <laughs> and that's why she's an agony aunt to the nation. <laughs> um, what do you I think, really? Everything. You,
1: you uh, think ignore her?
0: I think I think kind of uh, kill with kindness because that, that that does really annoy
1: people. Well, mine is also killed with kindness, but in a more challenging way by saying, "Is there something going on in your yeah. life What's that is wrong with you that is making you so unhappy that you're coming yeah. to work and taking out? Why are you such a
0: bitter old crone? That <laughs> that kind of thing. That,
1: but in a nicer, dressed-up way and also singing What a beautiful day as you leave to go to the coffee machine. That kind of
0: thing. Uh, I'm sure uh, people who actually work in in offices might have some advice. We've only
1: just mastered human resources, haven't we? Yeah,
0: I just get, I never knew what HR stood for. Uh, (laughs) I thought it was a sort of sauce. Uh, HP. (laughs) Oh. Higher purchase. That's how old we are. Uh, Yasmin in Reading. Uh, Do you have advice for her? And my favourite responder will be getting a box of Waitrose Milk chocolate smothered honeycomb. It's hand broken. Uh, Okay, Joe in Suffolk. Now they're writers. The lady who is being bullied, uh, Yasmin, may have a case for employment tribunal. Oh, lovely. The concern is that she has been to the employer and their failure to resolve the situation suggests they could be considered as complicit in the behaviour. It is not acceptable. And simply leaving and not having another job to go to could be constructive dismissal. HR must respond. Loving Joe, Do you think she's wearing a powdered wig as we speak? She's, <laughs> she's ready to take on the case. Shacuse. I had the exact same issue with a bully at work. She was toxic and HR did nothing. Bullies thrive on power, and so the best thing to do is to take the power away by showing that she doesn't affect you. It takes the power away from her and puts you in the driving seat if you choose to not let her affect you. You then have the power. The Chimp Paradox, hello, didn't think I'd be saying those three words together on a Saturday morning. The Chimp Paradox is also a fantastic book to read, which helped me manage this. Good luck. Remember, she is the sad, lonely one. And that's from Catherine in Hitchin. Well, any book that involves the Chimp Paradox. That's top of my reading list. Well done. Kristen Poole. Yasmin should find another job and leave. OK. The, man- <laughs> the management and HR company are weak and not doing their jobs. This lady should be going through a dis- disciplinary procedure. to write. Too right. Yeah, you could also uh, try an Employment Tribunal, I read with interest from Joe and Suffolk. Uh, Anne is in workshop. I ru- way Wait, Anne's got it all sorted. I run an anti-bullying company and would definitely recommend challenging the bully in a confident and polite manner the next time they are horrid. Say something like, I really don't appreciate the way you're talking to or treating me. Ask other colleagues to be with you when you say this. Ensure you log all incidents and go back to HR and ask that they show you their anti-bullying policy. And I love you. Uh, contact your union for further advice. Uh, everyone has the right to feel safe in the workspace and to be treated with respect. Good luck. And, I mean, you have so earned yourself a box of Waitrose milk chocolate smothered honeycomb.
2: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about.
0: Virgin Radio. Jimmy Doherty, at Tales of Jimmy's Farm is out in Harback now. So, Jimmy, so here's the thing. I, Whenever you hear someone's a farmer, you always kind of think, oh, they were born into it. But you know you weren't born into a farm.
3: No, not at all. Uh, my mum, who would be listening, my mum uh, was a hairdresser. Hello, Brenda. Hello, Hi, Brenda. <laughs> she, uh, she was a hairdresser and my dad was a bricklayer and they lived in London. And it was my dad's initiative to move out of London and he bought a little house in a village called Clavering in rural Essex. And that's where my love affair with the great outdoors began. And I got obsessed with nature and that led on to starting a farm up later on in my life. Yeah.
0: But even before that, animals, like even when you were, before you
3: moved to Essex, the house full of animals. Yeah, always, always. And I used to drive my parents to distraction. So my dad would come home from work and I'd clear his garage out and I, it would be full of tanks with snakes and lizards in. And he'd sort of, you know, effing blind at me or all the rest of it. And then <laughs> he'd come back another week and then the carport was turned to an aviary. So I had, and I had oh, snakes in my bedroom and all that kind of stuff. I was just obsessed with not only the diversity in wildlife but, the, but how it all works and how it all fits together.
0: And so you then you go and you you study, become an entomologist. Have I said that correctly? Well done, you you, you clever man. (laughs) I can't even say it. Uh, So, uh, and when did you kind of go, no, I'm going to,
3: farm, full-time, this is going to be my life. Well, I loved the idea of producing my own food when I was young. I had chickens and stuff like this, and I remember the first egg that was ever laid, and uh, I made egg on toast, and that was split between four of us, one egg. Um, <laughs> I was so excited, you know, but um, I, I was obsessed with sort of our traditional breeds, and when I was studying for my PhD... The whole September 11th sort of happened and I thought well actually now's the time to really go with your passions and I was down in the basement counting flies at the time which obviously they were in a little small test tube they weren't flying around the room yeah <laughs> that's almost <laughs> impossible to do um, and I thought you know what I'd I'm gonna change my life up. I'm gonna move away from academia which was all about testing theories and numbers and actually get back to the color and vibrance of nature and and start a farm and there's no way I could have bought a farm I had to rent somewhere and I had to rent a pretty derelict site and start really small small. and um, the best way to do it was rare breeds and selling direct to the public and at that time we'd had foot and mouth and mad cow's disease and you saw the rise of borough market and all these little farmer's markets that started up so that gave me an opportunity to get my foot in really. And then when did the exotic animals
0: arrive how did that happen?
3: That never stopped to be honest I'd always had a few unusual pets knocking around and I remember at university um, I used to have a, in the in the loo I used to have a snake tank and I had a snake in there and I had fish and all sorts of stuff that never stopped but when we opened the farm up to the public people would come to the farm shop to buy the goods and all the rest of it and they'd want to see the pigs and so we had an area to go and see the pigs and the and the sheep and the cattle and then we got calls from people saying look we've just found these emus in the back shed somewhere in Ipswich do you take them well we'd, okay we'll look after them and then it sort of grew um, and then I thought, well, look, we can't just keep taking these exotic things on. We need to you know, get a bit more professional. So we yeah. applied for our zoo license f- seven years ago. And so now we're a fully fledged wildlife park with all sorts. So how do you, so? I'm, not that I'm planning to do this. <laughs> how should. Go on, Greg, how go on, do you Greg. get a
0: zoo license? Who gives you that? Well, it's <laughs> no, because I was looking at your farm, kind of thinking, yeah, it's not. Wow, like that's a, amazing. And I'm not... thinking, could I have some meerkats in it's my garden? It's not like you
3: have it in your wallet and you whip it out when you sort. You know, yeah. um, but oh, that'd be great to do that, wouldn't it? Top trumps of uh, yeah. what have you got yeah. in your wallet? Um, you, it, it takes a long time. It's a long process, and you have to demonstrate your uh, credibility for conservation education you have a species plan why you've got these animals what purpose have they got for conservation education um, there's a whole just a raft of legislation you go through that then you're inspected then you're inspected again every couple of years so it's a ongoing process and it's really it's a really good thing for us to have done it really gives us purpose so we now not only are still a working farm producing uh, food, but also we have a purpose in terms of education, conservation, not only for our own wildlife but also for exotic wildlife. And
0: like, if somebody offered you something, like, would you say yes to everything, or there some animals you've got to go? That's too expensive. I'm
3: just, I'm a nightmare for that because I'm one of those. Um, I'm terrible when I'm shopping because I think, oh, well, I'll have that. And that's quite, why do I need that? I definitely need that. And so when I, I do that the with mi- animals... The middle aisle in middle.
4: Yeah, that's you. <laughs> that that's is you all that, over. Yeah.
3: You know, all, the, all those spanners and stuff that I don't need. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, there's, there's so many animals that I uh, fall in love with and think we definitely need a rhino or we, we should have some of those elephants. And then And then all my colleagues go, no, sit down. Have a drink. You're talking nonsense. Um, so that's where the species plan comes in, because you say, actually, this is our purpose. We've got some really interesting animals, hopefully lined up for next year, which is our biggest project. I can't really talk about it at the moment, but it's going to be really exciting. Ooh! Oh yeah. What continent might it be? Right. I, I can't tell you that, because I'll give it away instantly. <laughs> Ooh!
0: Okay. Yeah. Pandas. It's pandas. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jimmy's farm. Pandas. That's what that is. And one of the things I like in the book is that obviously there's lots about animals but there's also things just about nature things I never knew Uh, talk to us about meeting the man in the woods in springtime do you know the story I'm talking about?
3: Um, no, what story is that? it's the one where he told you to get a stethoscope oh yeah, oh no, Yes. so that's right oh yeah, it was in Norfolk he was incredible, so he was a forager and um, I've met lots of men in woods, that's why I got confused. <laughs> um, <but laughs> so it, I, I spent a day with him, and when you spend a day with a forager, they they can just read the woodland so well, so they will stop and go, listen to that, that's a blue tit, you know, defending its territory, or look at this, that's where an otter's crossed over to get to the river. Um, and he said, well, the spring's arriving, and he said, the great thing about spring arriving is that sap starts to rise, in the silver birch, and he said, so you can look at all these little gnats, and there's certain little flies called sesamides, and they start to emerge out the soil around springtime, little tiny uh, gnats flying around. He said, so that's a really good indicator it's the perfect time. And he got his stethoscope out and he listened to the silver birch tree and it sort of gurgled g- 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 like this. And I listened. I was like, that is the tree, not my stomach. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he tapped into it and, and got the sap out and, and put it into a bottle and we drank it. And it was phenomenal because it was like the energy of spring. I was like, wow. And I could feel all those natural sugars coming through. And he said every time he drinks it, his wife gets pregnant. He has another child. So I immediately spat it out. I was like, do you know what? I've got four <laughs> kids, so there's no way I want any more of that. But is that the thing that got you drunk? Or is there a, is there a different thing, like a birch wine? Well, you can ferment it and then turn it into alcohol, absolutely. But it's, the tree doesn't just produce the alcohol on it. So I'd be amazing if it did. You just put a tap on it. That would be, be a popular tree. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you, you're, uh, but now when you're filming, because it must be great, because it gets all the attention and everybody knows Jimmy's farm and everyone knows you. But you're working like that. Must it must be frustrating with with people kind of going, can you do that again or we missed it or
3: yeah, it's interesting with filming on the farm. Uh, there, there there is always that, and you always have to make concessions for for, for filming because there's a certain grammar with TV you have to be in a certain place stand in a certain so the camera can see all those sorts of things but we pretty much try and just do it as it is uh, and the crews are always really accommodating and sometimes the cameramen forget they're filming and they get really involved in the stories I remember there's a really good cameraman called Bob Bailey which is a great name yeah Um, and he was filming some piglets being born and one really wasn't moving it looked like it would just been stillborn and um, we managed to get it round and it started breathing and up it up again and it's like running round. And I turned around to Ballet and he's crying. And he's crying oh, and I was like, "I'm going to be filming this? I went, oh, yeah, sorry, so I'm <laughs> completely going to be filming it.
0: <laughs> and, and you talk that, that, you know, just filming it, you start crying. I mean, for you, you must get so emotionally attached to these animals.
3: You do, absolutely. Uh, and it's an interesting split because we have... Obviously, the exotic animals on in the wildlife park, and very much our effort is about conservation education. And at the same time, we have the working farm where we have uh, we've got 10,000 turkeys, we've got cattle, and we've got pigs, and they're very much animals in the food chain. And people often say, "Well, how can you, you know divide the two? And I equally feel uh, the the. the the passion for those animals and the love for them because I think if you didn't, then you shouldn't really eat meat. You know, the the idea of going, Well, these pigs are off to the food chain now and it does pull on your heartstrings and that's a that's good to have that because you understand the value of the meat and what's gone into it.
0: No, because I there's a picture in the book. Of the butcher shop outside they like kids kids must be like la 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 loving la, loving la, la, and turn a corner and it's just
3: carnage <éra eliminatory> it's good for halloween <ésus> <laughs> the thing that's really an interesting point though because in our butcher we always had windows on the side it's moved slightly now But the idea of people being involved in that and the kids understanding that, and I always make it quite open so we have be a farmer for a day course or making sausages and go and visit the pigs so there's a natural link and and that's quite healthy. And I've been to countries like um, if you go to Holland, there's often, like you go to abattoirs and they have hundreds of thousands of kids visit every year on school visits and it's an open window policy and I think that's what food should be about.
0: Yeah, I remember as a child I was a part of the Young Farmers Club in my school and we did a visit to an abattoir oh it's quite it's quite eye opening (laughs) (laughs) but you're right though because I think because in America it's very sanitised you never get the connection between what's in the supermarket and where it came from whereas here it's great that there is that
3: link you do know what it is completely I I I was recently in the States uh, about two weeks ago and visiting lots of farms over there And there's a big change in the states with agriculture. They're moving more towards that regenerative, uh, you know, open book type, getting away from mass production, although that is still predominantly the the case. But um, it is important that we do open our doors. And there's there's Open Farm Sunday, where so many farms open their doors and you come in, you can see so many farms around the country. The re-engagement with the consumer, with the producer, is so important. Yeah, and you were just saying that thing post-lockdown, people want to get out into the country. They want the air, they want to, 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 to see it all. Yeah, completely. And it's, it's so important that we do that. I mean, after, in lockdown, people were crazed. They had an hour's exercise. Um, and as soon as they could get out, they were out and about. Footpaths were full. Um, people wanted to walk through the woods, smell nature, see nature. I got loads of emails and letters with you know, exotic insects that were found in the garden. You know, someone sent this picture of a moth in. Oh, this is, must have fallen off an aeroplane. And I was like, it's a Privet hawk moth. They've been here for thousands of years. But, 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 but no one's really seen them because you don't really look for them. But I hope that engagement in nature stays after the whole terrible thing with COVID. Yeah, 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 it's really good for our mental health.
0: Uh, listen. Congratulations on the book. Tales from Jimmy's Farm. It's twenty years of Jimmy's Farm, and uh, and you're doing you're off doing more filming in New well, Zealand. I'm, I'm and off to
3: New Zealand for a month's filming there to look at the farmers and food production over there. So that should be quite exciting.
0: Wow. Well, listen. Good luck with that, and uh, and may long success to the to the farm. Uh, good dog. Thank you so much for coming in to see us. Good oh, to see
3: you. Oh, and, and thank you for my bag of goodies. Yeah. Make gonna... sure
0: you share it, with Maria. I will. Yeah. Yeah. I will. Yeah. She can have the hat. Uh, (laughs) all right take care jimmy cheers lovely to see you the graham norton radio show with waitrose food to feel good about
1: virgin radio
0: Now, in show business, very few people have the Midas touch, but my next guest really does. Open All Hours, Darling Buds of May, A Touch of Frost, Only Fools and Horses, he starred in all of them. And now he has a second career as an enormously successful author. His latest book is The Twelve Dells of Christmas. His name is David Jason, and he joins us now. Hello, David.
5: Hello, Graham. How lovely (laughs) to meet you again.
0: Yes. Uh, It's funny that you're doing a book about Christmas. We met doing a a Christmas ad for the BBC, I think.
5: Ah, now that is what the first thing I wanted to ask you, because I couldn't remember, and it's been bugging me ever since. But what I remember was, and this is where you might be able to tell us what we were doing. I always remember you were sitting at a grand piano, and I was standing next to you, (laughs) And you was you were going, you were saying, I, I don't know what I'm doing here. What are we doing? Why are we doing it? I, said, I don't know. I don't know what. I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. But I'll pretend. I'll, I'll do the piano. And it was somewhat something like that. And uh, I've never forgotten it, but I don't know what it was for. Do you remember? I think it
0: was a BBC Christmas thing. I remember we were wearing Christmas jumpers, weren't we?
5: Yes, I think so. I think and so. and but...
0: Tess, Tess Daly was there. I remember that.
5: Uh... Right, well, you were you were probably <laughs> right, but I I couldn't I couldn't remember it. But all I remember is that you were, was just uh, so taken aback and, and funny. We were really enjoying ourselves, but. Uh, we were trying to keep it to ourselves. Yes,
0: and, uh, you, we were both equally clueless. And listen, this book, yes. the Twelve Delves of Christmas, it, it's such a clever idea. It's such a great way to collect stories. Was it your idea, or did somebody come to you and go, "What about this"?
5: No, you're quite right. wasn't Wasn't my idea. <laughs> I certainly <laughs> like to take credit for it. But no, there was the uh, the the publishers at Random House, the, uh, the the boss there, and we had a couple of meetings about. Uh, he would like me to do another book I bet he would <laughs> <laughs> apparently people were silly enough to buy the first three so uh, I, I I was persuaded to write another and he came up with that idea that I wasn't uh, totally impressed at first but then uh, it, it started to take shape anyway and uh, there is the story and it, it's it's loosely linked to uh, the Christmases, the 12 Christmases, and how it, that all came about and how it all influenced me and wh- where it first started.
0: Yeah, because it, it veers off. You, so you, you link it to, the, to the, the shows, but then you veer off into all sorts of uh, stories about, you know, the Jubilee or about your life. or uh, yeah, There's an extraordinary sequence with you in a helicopter meeting Tom Cruise. Tell us about that.
5: Yes, yes, well, you know, well, when you're, uh, you know, quite popular and well-known, these people <laughs> want to meet you, and uh, <laughs> first, uh, it was uh, Tom was getting desperate to rub shoulders <laughs> with me, and so I allowed myself <laughs> to meet him and, uh, you know, say hello, and before I rushed off to other important meetings. But now, you, are, you uh, are a pilot, though, aren't you? You are a pilot. Yes, yes. So what really happened was that uh, my friend and I, um, Leon and I, were out uh, on our doing some research, which we uh, do for documentaries that we're trying to get off the ground. And as we landed at this uh, particular airfield, um, the guy who was uh, um, looking, at, looking after us or making sure that we would landed in the right place at Duxford, and he said, Oh, he said, you'll never guess who was down there. And we said, no, who's that? He said, that's uh, Tom Cruise. He's making his latest film. And as it happened, this friend of mine, who's my good buddy, he said, oh, I know Tom Cruise. He used to uh, look after his uh, helicopters and things. So anyway, we said, oh, that's nice. The next thing we know was that uh, Tom Cruise had, uh, was... Uh, Come back from a bit of a um, some rehearsals that he was doing, and he said, "I understand that Leon Harris is up the road. Tell no, Leon Leon to pop down." So, of course, I I was persuaded to <laughs> you know, to join him. But anyway, the long and the short of it was yes, and he met Tom Cruise, and I have to tell you that he's really one of the nicest uh, guys that you could possibly meet. Because when we when we got there. He was very busy talking to a, a very, very nice lady who was in a wheelchair. And uh, he had taken the time out. I think that she had uh, she'd written a note to say that could she have his autograph and whatever, whatever. And he said, well, if you are a local lady, why don't you come along and I'll say hello to you? Which she did. And so there he was uh, giving this lady some, some time and we came along. And I think the the, the little uh, story why I mentioned that is because she was we we came up behind this lady while she was talking to Tom Cruise, and then I uh, tried to be polite and move around behind Tom Cruise, and this lady then went, "Oh, oh, look who's there! There's David Jason. Oh, hello. Could I say that Tom Cruise was given the elbow?" And <laughs> I, so I. I uh, topped build Tom
0: Cruise. <laughs> <food. laughs> all our Christmas, all our Christmases at once. And tell me this, David, because <laughs> in the book you talk about how you know you go to the 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 big convention, the the appreciation society have this big convention in Bedford. Did you always, did you always like? the the kind of the attention. Did you always like the uh, kind of the adoration? of People just love this show, Only Fools and Horses. Was there a time in your life when you kind of thought, I wish people would just stop talking to me about Only Fools and Horses and talk to me about the rest of my work?
5: Well, you're you're quite right uh, in that assumption because uh, although of of course I'm very proud of what i have done what we all did, because it wasn't just me. It was, come on, it was a collective and a team effort. And, of course, you can't, you can't say anything about Fools and Wolves without saying the creator, John Sullivan, yeah. is the guy that wrote all of the, uh, um, the, the construction of the gags and all of that. And, of course, people like Nick Lintus and that, we were a great team. So, yes, but what has happened more recently is that has become more and more powerful in people's um, memories, well, because it's still on, it's still being repeated. But the rest of my career where, I, for example, um, the, I won the best actor for a, um, a play uh, or a small series called Porterhouse Blue. And uh, I won a, a, bat, a BAFTA for the best actor for that, but nobody ever remembers, nobody ever mentions it. And so, yes, it is a bit of a, a cross that you have to bear that the the popularity and the impression that Fools and Horses has made on the British public um, is one that they won't let me go if you, take my drift yeah I mean, you know i i
0: i guess it's it's yes i know what you mean a bit because but also a a, lo- a lovely thing you know that 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 this thing is still so loved and people are still so affectionate towards you uh, david in the book you talk about john sullivan uh, the, the creator and those scripts, that those things he did, where he would turn on a dime and suddenly do a really kind of serious, uh, moving moment in the middle of, of Only Fools and Horses. W- what were they like to play? Like as an actor, is it very hard to suddenly, you know, switch it like that?
5: No, well, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because it's one of the things that perhaps <clears throat> scoot past. Uh, people the the general uh, fans but w- what he was able to do as we grew together uh, John and I and the team he was learning about us as actors and what he could perhaps get out of us if you like and what our range was and so he was constantly pushing the the barriers of how far he could take us so, in that one particular, there's one particular se- sequence scene I remember where uh, Dell and Rodney uh, having a heart-to-heart and suddenly uh, Del is taken over by the situation and here we were doing this light comedy piece and because of uh, Rodney's attitude about a certain um, attitude that... That Dell was taking, he had a pop at uh, Dell, and Dell suddenly turned and started to say really heartfelt things about you don't understand what it's been like for me because here I am. I've had to look after you. I've brought you up, and you and Grandad, it was at the time. I've taken you together and I've looked after you and cared for you. Who's done anything for me? You haven't, nobody's done anything for me, and you forget that. Well, anyway. That was the sort of scene. So in the middle of this situation comedy, you'd suddenly got this dramatic turn of events. Now you need a little bit of range as an actor yeah. to be able to uh, encompass those emotions and at the same time, keep that, um, you know, comic air, if you like, about you. Well. That was something that I really cherished because, as I've just said, that I won my first uh, BAFTA uh, for a dramatic role. So I was not a stranger to drama, but uh, we sent, tended to forget that in *Fools and Horses*. So when that particular scene came up, it was a joy to reach in to reach into my inner self and produce that dramatic scene, if you like. So it was Everything because I love acting so much. Yeah. it was a, just
0: a joy. And also, you kind of earned the right. You'd you'd given us all the funnies, so you know we we could go with you into that into that darker place. It, it was so brilliantly done. Tell me this, David. The, the you know that list I read out earlier of, of all you know not just hit shows but you know so loved. So you know, open all hours, darling, Wednesday Bay May, touch frost, only filled horses. Is that that can't just be luck? That's got to be. Something about you, not just your talent, but also just picking the right things. Were you aware of that at the time, of kind of, I'm going to say no to this, I'm going to say yes to this? That, did you plan it in any way?
5: No, not really. I was so happy to, to work on more or less anything. But that story of uh, of um, Darling Buds of May is an interesting one, apropos of what you've just said, is that... When it first happened, my agent was a very, very good agency, and very good agent. They said, she said, Make Paul, she said, I've got a script come in, she said, and it's about, uh, it's called Darling Buds of May, and it's a very good story written by a very, very good writer, H.E. Bates. It's about the 14th. She told me this story. She said, have a read of the book and tell me what you think. Anyway, so I read it. And then I phoned her back a few couple of three days later, and I I said, you, this was a very popular book. She said, yes. And I said, well, I've read the script and everything, and the way that I view it is I love the characters, but nothing happens. I said, it'll either be a great success or it'll fall flat on its face. (laughs) So I said to her, what do you think? So she said, well, I've always loved A. G. E. Bates. He's a great writer, and I think that it's, it's going to be done. I said, OK, I'll do it. one thing. If you can find out for me, will they do it on film in, or tape? And if they're going to do it on tape, I'm not going to do it. So anyway, she came back and she said, no, they want to do it on film. And because I tell you why I wanted to do it on film. Because in those days, the quality of tape wasn't very good. The lighting was—you were either lit or you weren't. But in film, there's a lot of clever lighting that they need to. You need experts to do that. And so, as I said, the the rest is uh, history. But that that was the reason it was. um, I thought it might. It might. You know, just because nothing happened. family. But, uh, but people people
0: loved it and love it still. Uh, David, we're running out of time, so I must just thank you and say the 12 Dells of Christmas, your latest bestseller, is out in hardback now. It's been fascinating talking to you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Take
5: care. Thank you. Thank you Lord Graham. Thank all you. All
0: right, take care. Still to come, DJ Spoonie has a documentary out, The Story of the Four Aces Club in Hackney. That's on Virgin Radio. And he gives us an insight into it. And Gareth Malone is on tour and joins me in the studio to tell us all about that. But first, hello, Martha. What have you brought me today?
6: Oh, today, something something y Mm-hmm.
0: Because
6: I think this might be the time of year people have pumpkins to use up.
0: <laughs> oh yeah! <laughs> okay. okay, I know.
6: <laughs> they're, 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 they're very excited
0: about Halloween over there. In the, in the other room, Halloween's a big deal apparently. <laughs> and in this room now, now that you brought me my pumpkin-based uh, treat, mm. so
6: what is it? So this is a pumpkin caramel and ginger baked cheesecake.
0: Okay, and so when because if you carve out a pumpkin, yes, is that you? What is that usable, or do you have to actually? You know, do you have to get a separate pumpkin to make this?
6: It's heavily dependent on how (laughs) you have kept your pumpkin. (laughs) So when you... I heard your little tip about the electric whisk within. It's very helpful.
0: Isn't that good? Yeah, Yeah, I love that.
6: So you want to get rid of those kind of stringy bits and all the seeds. You can scoop... if If you've literally just cut the top off the pumpkin and you've looked inside inspected it, it's all good. You can scoop the flesh out and you can keep that for a recipe like this. If you've kind of cut it open, taken the middles out, carved it, left it on your front doorstep for two weeks, and then you're hauling it back in again, wouldn't recommend.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> no longer a food stuff.
6: Yes. Um, but you can actually buy kind of culinary pumpkins that will taste a bit better.
0: Culinary gum- mm, pumpkins?
6: Yeah, or you can even use a butternut squash for this recipe if you want to make it at a time of year where you may not have pumpkins they're coming not, out of your they're ears. They're not knocking around. <laughs>
0: no, because I think people's complaint about pumpkins is they look amazing, but they don't taste of a lot.
6: Yes, they are They are not as tasty as a squash. They're, their flavour isn't as concentrated, but there's a few clever little tips in this recipe that try and really bring the pumpkin to the party, like roasting it instead of just kind of boiling it oh. so it doesn't taste as watery.
0: Oh, that that already, a top tip, a top <laughs> tip. And, and, of course, the caramel and the ginger. And is this, I mean, it looks very impressive, I have to say. I think you might oh, get a round you. of applause if you brought this to the table. Um, oh. Hard to make? Um... But- a mid mid level. All right. So how? Oh, also, can we say because baked? When I saw baked cheesecake, my memory of baked cheesecakes, those American baked cheesecakes where they're very kind of I don't know stodgy and they don't have the nice cheesecake base. A bit but this fluffy. has all of that. Yeah, mm. this has all of that. Good. Yeah, all the hits. <laughs> okay,
6: go. So start with your pumpkin. We're going to roast it. So you want to cut it into chunks. You can leave the skin on if you kind of if you've gotten a pumpkin just for the purpose of this. Cut it into big chunks. Leave the skin on because it's real paint, so thick to peel off. You don't want to be doing that. So you roast it for about an hour and a half until it's really, really soft. So then can you use a spoon to s- scoop it off the skin, discard your skin. OK, got. I didn't it. put the skin in the cheesecake. <laughs> okay, your face I was was like, you're really? like, really? Really? <laughs> There's pumpkin skin in there? This? <laughs> this is surprising. <laughs> no, get rid of the skin. But okay. then the flesh comes off nicely and then we're going to puree that to be really fine. You can also buy canned pumpkin if you don't want to be roasting for that long. So the option the choice is yours yes
0: absolutely (laughs) absolutely.
6: then we're gonna make our base so this is a whole kind of tube of waitrose ginger nuts blitzed up and then Mm. mixed with melted butter pressed into a tin Uh, you want one of those spring form tins so one not one that you push up from the bottom but one that you can kind of unlock around the side and it opens out
0: gotcha yeah. I actually weirdly I know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's a weird I, 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 I didn't know I knew, but I, I yes, I, I do know what a you're good talking little about. Yeah.
6: Spring form, and then we're gonna make the cheesecake mixture. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna start with our cream cheese, corn flour, and two kinds of sugar, castor and brown. Mix that all together until it's nice and smooth. Then we add in our eggs, some double cream, vanilla extract, and a bit of ground ginger. So you've got all these lovely flavours going on there. Fold through your pumpkin puree, which should be lovely and smooth, and then tip that into on top of your base. And this is going to go into the oven. And the most important thing with a baked cheesecake, to avoid what you've said about getting that kind of...
0: Stodgy. Stodgy, dense,
6: kind of slightly floury texture. Yes,
0: exactly that.
6: You don't want that. You want it to be lovely and silky and smooth. So you've got to wrap your tin in tin foil really tightly, Mm -hmm. put it into a roasting tin, and then pour boiling water so it comes right up to the side. Get out of town. <laughs> So this is why the recipe's a little hard, because you have to make sure you do that bit properly, because if there's any little holes, your cheesecake might be a bit soggy. So make sure you've protected it. Pour the water so it comes up halfway, and it just means that the edge it's not going to kind of roast. It's just going to steam gently with all of that lovely water in the oven. Yeah. And it's going to protect the edges from getting like too Like a Christmas dark. pudding or something. Kind of, yeah. But yeah. you don't put a lid on or anything. It just goes into the oven for an hour. And then when you get it out, you want it to still have a wobble in the middle. And everything within you will be thinking, this isn't going to set. But if you want that lovely kind of silky middle, you need to have a little wobble.
0: OK. But, like, how do you know? Like, OK, you're worrying me now. Your your medium difficulty, I'm thinking, this is really okay. hard. Because, so what if what if it doesn't, like, do, can you put it back in the oven if it hasn't set? Oh, once
6: it's cool, probably not, but it'll be fine. You'll You'll know. You'll know. Basically, you just don't want it to look like how it should look at the end.
0: I've lost my nerve.
6: A little bit, but you can do this. Great. And then at the <laughs> I'm end, <buying> this. <laughs> however it looks at the end, we're covering it in Woto's number one salted caramel sauce all over the top. So it doesn't matter if it yeah. doesn't look great.
0: <laughs> and this is where, this is where like being a great baker like you comes into play. Because the way you've kind of done your salted caramel topping thing is so professional. Oh, It's well, so like I walked into a patisserie. <gasps> it looks so... Delicious.
6: It's amazing what you can do with a piping bag. Was that a piping bag? (laughs) Yeah, I just took a piping bag, kind of pop it into a glass and fold it over the top so you don't have the sauce slopping everywhere. Filled it with the salted caramel sauce and then drizzle away.
0: off she went. <laughs> oh, like a regular Damien Hirst. Uh, Thank you so much for that. That was a pumpkin caramel and ginger baked cheesecake. It's in the Waitrose magazine, but that's out of stores tomorrow, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so a run. Run. If you need it for the magazine, <laughs> if you want a hard copy magazine in shops, uh, you're going to get it today because it's the October issue. Uh, but don't forget, recipes past and present can be found in the Graham Norton Waitrose hub on the Waitrose website. It's waitrose.com slash Show Chef, if you're looking for Martha's recipes. You can also check out the recipe on our socials at Virgin Radio UK. Uh, thank you so much, Martha. Have a lovely week. You're most welcome. And happy Halloween. Thank
6: you very much. Are you
0: putting a pumpkin out? Can children knock on your door and get sweets?
6: I mean, we live in a flat. So, so I feel no. like no. no one ever comes. <laughs> we have Back got off. sweets, though. If you want to come, <laughs> you better <gotta> find us. <laughs> All
0: right. Thanks a lot, Martha. Have a great week. Bye. Guest. The, uh, the um guest. Yeah, we're hoping to give away a Graham Norton Great Joe's gift box. That's got the reusable cup, champagne, shovels, quarantine, shortbread, jam, vinegar, and the voice we're trying to identify is this one.
2: And he'd be like this. Oh, 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 no. Oh, oh, no, oh
1: no. Oh, no, no, no oh. I mean, you, know,
2: you know what I mean? Yeah. It just it was like, really? I'm going to pirate my own movie. Yeah.
0: Okay, let's head to the phones and see if we're getting away the goodie box. Uh, who's up first? Is it Ang Ang Harrod?
2: Yes, yeah. Can you hear me, Graham? Yeah, Ang Harrod.
0: I can hear you, Ang Harrod. Is that where, where's that name from? It,
2: it's a Welsh name. It's a Welsh name. So yeah, my, my mum's side of the family's from Wales, so I got the the, the crazy Welsh name.
0: Oh wow! Uh, and where are you? And
2: um, so I'm phoning from East Yorkshire. So it's a it's been raining, but the rain stopped now. We've had football and we're a little bit
0: soaked, but um, hoping to win a, a, a Waitrose Prize. Oh, and, uh, Angharad. Enjoy it next
2: weekend. <laughs>
0: much excitement, much excitement, Harrod. So <laughs> you've been to the football, you've come home, you're drying off, and now the, yeah. the excitement bills as you play this. Absolutely. Who, who do you think that voice belongs to? I think that
2: might be Jamie Lee
0: Curtis. Are you wrong? Are you right? Oh, it's very spooky. It is Halloween. It is Halloween. It is Halloween,
2: that's it. That's it.
0: You're right. Yes, you are. Oh, Angharad got it in one. Got it in one. Very, very good. That's exciting. Uh, did, did you that's win it? Did you win at the football? I've got my
2: little boy in the car. He's Excited by it
0: too. <laughs> he's being told not to swear, so he's, he's on behaviour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't swear either. Don't do that. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't. I'm sure he doesn't. Anyway, hang out. Is there anyone you'd like not to say God. hello to while you're on the uh, on the radio?
2: Oh, probably. Um, I'll, I'll go for the the rest of my family. So, my husband Richard and um, son um, Reese and daughter Hazel, and maybe my brother who's just texted me and said, "Are you on the radio?" So, my my brother Christopher, his family, and my and my, the rest of my family, Yep. By like the way, so, your, your, I like the way
0: your brother just got Christopher. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I know who he is.
0: Yeah. Ang Harrod, I'm the, I'm the one. I'm the one. Uh, yeah, Ang Harrod, thank, thank you so much for uh, bringing in, taking part in Guest guests. Guest. Enjoy your goodie box. It is winging its way to you.
2: Lovely to speak to you, Graham. Thank you very much.
0: Alright, congratulations. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. It's time to meet my first guest of the day. He is the nation's favorite choir master. I'm not sure who's the second favourite choir master. <laughs> that, I always say that. Name me another one, Graham. <laughs> yeah, Come on. You are the nation's only choir master. <laughs> Gareth Malone. Hello. Yay, yay, yay. Uh, so this, I was just saying to you while uh, George Asra was uh Filling the room. Uh, this is such a good idea. Sing along a Gareth. Um, I mean, you must be kicking yourself that you hadn't thought of this before. Yeah, actually, a friend of mine said, uh, I've been waiting for you to do this. I was like, why didn't
4: you tell me? And I had <laughs> such an epiphany. We did our first night in the uh, larry at Salford this week. And I walked down onto stage and I started singing um, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning from Oklahoma. And instantly, 1,000 people started joining in. And it was just so good. It was like a kind of... I don't know, it's sort of like being a religious leader but without the religion.
0: <laughs> it was just amazing. Also, I like, what's good about it too is that... Because no-one wants to get ambushed into a sing-along. No. So what's great is the theatres will be full of people who want to be at a sing-along. Definitely. There were the the reluctant
4: ones, and that's fine. And, in fact, there were one or two who, I'm going to be honest, were not good singers. Uh, (laughs) We're about a bar and a half afterwards. (laughs) And it just didn't matter, because it was such a sort of permissive uh, atmosphere. It was fine to just do whatever you like.
0: Um, Tell me this, Gareth. At the end of the evening, Mm. if I went, would I be a better singer by the end of the evening? Do you do do that sort of thing? I don't
4: really. It's not a choir rehearsal. It's sort of a bit... But it's part choir, as a part workshop, but it's mostly a concert. So I've got uh, singers on stage with me who lead the songs. I I do loads of singing as well. Uh, so it's more like you know, start by the end, everyone's standing up and dancing. We're dancing along to Elton John. It, you feel
0: good. You feel better. And uh, if you are a big show off and you kind of think this is my moment, do you? Are people in the audience? Oh, did it yeah. become
4: soloists? We we do have yeah I I um I'm uh, trying lots of different things. We've got um there's a section where we write a song, so people put their hands up and go I've got a little idea for a tune, and then we get a thousand people singing that. That's really fun. Uh, and uh, we had a little girl of about nine suggest something, and that was really sweet. Uh, and we also had somebody up doing at once at one point we did MC Hammer's seminal rap. Um, you can't touch this and somebody from the audience <laughs> knew it so I was, I was right right up you get <laughs> um, and so it, it it sounds like it's a pretty broad church musically it is it is it's not really a classical show it's, it, it's it's popular choices so it's things like Bridge Over Troubled Water Stand By Me I'm Still Standing all those songs that you go oh yeah I know this one and can join in readily and what are you singing to backing tracks no or? it's all live it's all live music so oh, I wow. play bass guitar the acoustic guitar Electric guitar Ukulele At one point we do um, um, uh, um, i right write said Fred With the ukulele Which is quite fun And then I've got A pianist on stage uh, Two singers And a fantastic percussionist Who was has just come off The ABBA uh, experience So it's <gasps> Yeah It's all fun uh, That's
0: sing-along at ABBA really yeah, but yeah. yeah
4: we should put some <laughs> more Aber.
0: Uh, yeah you should uh, t- uh, you've, as you say you've done your first one uh, mm-hmm. last Wednesday and now you kick off again on Tuesday uh, at Gateshead and then you keep going all the way to Friday the 16th of December
4: when no actually Gateshead has moved Gateshead is the 20th of December you may have an old list it goes yeah we're going all over the next one's Liverpool on the 4th okay um, yeah this but, is yeah. an old list this says the 5th if you go to yeah. my website garethmalone.com he said awkwardly uh, <laughs> Oh, yeah, <laughs> rip that one up. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, somebody will be killed later. Uh, yeah, it, we're all over.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, this this one's right. I think oh, yes. That. I've Thank got a poster. God. It's right. That's it's good. all. It's all right. Very very good. <sighs> and Did this kind of come out of the 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 Great British uh, the Great chorus. British Home Chorus Yeah, it
4: did. It did because I wasn't allowed to do anything, and I felt like I didn't want to do it. You know, there were choirs that were saying, we're going to sort of militantly go out and sing. And that was, I applauded that, but I felt like that wasn't the atmosphere that I wanted to be singing in. I wanted it to feel a bit safer. And I know that we're not out of the the pandemic entirely, but I felt like the other night, everyone was confident to be there and make a noise. Um, But yeah, it, it was so difficult for people who like singing to be band yeah uh, so it's time you know it's time to for it's time for a good old-fashioned sing song and an unpressured one and you know which one where you can just kind of go and join in and not worry about whether you sound any good i think it's time for that uh, so how how did,
0: did Telly find you?
4: I was running a community choir. It was the first choir I'd ever run, ironically, uh, for the London Symphony Chorus, just up the road. Yeah, so, yeah London Symphony Orchestra, and uh, I was on their website. Somebody did a Google, and then there was a phone call, and then I I was suddenly found myself on the phone to this producer, and I just thought, yes, I can do that. I know exactly how what that should be, and you know, what's we'll that called manifesting? I, don't I think know what it, is. it is. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. When you sort of envisage it, I was like, yeah, I know how that's going to be and it's going to be great. And then next minute, I'm on stage with you getting a BAFTA. Yeah. But uh, tell me this. So, uh,
0: you know, what had you done previously that made you think I can do this, that I'd, you could make ordinary yeah. people be able to sing?
4: I'd done a lot of mu- music education workshops. Oh, okay. I've been in schools and old people centres and. Uh, uh, and just introducing people to music, I hadn't done anything else really. Uh, you know, since university, I was like theatre and education, writing bits of music. So I just had that confidence that that it would be okay. But it was a great adventure for me because I was going into territory that I ha- you know hadn't been into. I obviously ended up military wise I'd never met adults <laughs> really. I'd have mostly dealt with kids, so that was all very exciting to kind of test the thesis of like, could I get these people to sing? And I, I feel like I've roundly. Pr- proved that o- yeah. over the years.
0: But what was it like cause suddenly that that heightened emotion? Yeah. You know, was so- suddenly the stakes, you know, the I stakes are it. the stakes I... aren't normally that high. No, but the stakes were suddenly very high.
4: Well, television does that, doesn't it? It needs to be and it needs to be exciting, it needs to be some drama and, and excitement and I I um some jeopardy. That's the television word. Yeah. I like <laughs> what what um I termed uh, termed it organic jeopardy. You know, I think what was good about the, you know, what's good about the series I've made has been that there's a genuine Tension and excitement about going onto stage. You know, we all, you know, anyone who's a performer knows that there's real stakes in that. Um, and then you add in something like there's a, re- you know, like military-wise, where there was a, re- they had a reputation to form. They there was a, they, they had a fairly rotten reputation at the time. So there was a story to be told, and I, I think that was a, yeah, it was a potent combination. So it was very exciting for me because I, lo- I love that. I love, um, I love story, and I, I did a theatre degree, and um, yeah, I love. I love sort of being part of a narrative in a way. You know? yeah. I'm, sort of, I'm, like, I'm like the main character in this drama and I, nobody knows what the end is. I found that really... It was like a long improvisation.
0: And when you select songs, mm. like for Sing Along or for one of those programmes, yeah. uh, is there a trick to finding things that sound impressive but aren't that yeah,
4: hard. Yeah, I think, I think so. It's a sort of the Ringo Starr type uh, <laughs> ideology. You have to have something that's got a r- relatively limited range, that you know doesn't leap around too much. Uh, it's got to be a song that you want to get your teeth into. Um, and I get often, you know, television producers calling me up and say, I've got this brilliant song and I feel like there's no fundamental charge in the song that people are going to connect with. And and so I I I really push back on that because I sort of I don't know I've just got a gut feeling. For and that, did you
0: always so. have that confidence even from day 1 yeah. when producers were saying this is what we're singing?
4: I do usually know my own mind. Yeah, I'm, especially about
0: music. I think you know music's one of those funny things where
4: everyone listens to music, we're all consumers of it, but you you don't necessarily know how to put it together and it's a very different thing, especially in television. People are like, I know music, I've heard 45 songs. Um, So I, yeah, I I I pull rank on that. But then in terms of telly,
0: did you do The mass Singer or The mass Dancer? Yeah, I did Dancer.
4: You did Dancer? (laughs) How did you end up as the Dancer? Well, the call came in and I thought, that is brilliant because everyone will expect me to sing. I mean, to the point where every year people go, oh, it's Gareth Malone and it never was. And I just thought, no, (laughs) one will guess and that will be great and I'll probably be out in the first round and I'll um, that's What were thing. you? What were you? Uh, I was a cactus, Graham. Okay. I was this ca- kind of, I was like a wrestling Mexican, angry cactus with a very happy face.
0: And were you very bossy about what songs you would dance no, no, to? That, with that, that? Actually, yes, I was. Yeah, <laughs> I had it. Uh,
4: <laughs> characteristically, yeah, they gave me a few choices, and I wanted things that I could really get my teeth into. And um, yeah, you said you said <laughs> no, no. I'm not doing that. That's silly. How far did you get? Uh, oh, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, Like th- I wasn't the first out. No, you weren't, because like I, fr- four- I watched the first couple of episodes and I didn't see yeah, you. Yeah, like third yeah. or fourth out, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was respectable. Yeah. And Osimabuse so, said I was a very, very good performer, which you will. people who have been seeing me will attest. I and, I'm, s-
0: and I'm guessing they didn't guess who you were. They had no idea. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, I mean, how how would you guess? No, the,
4: it's it's very hard on their master answer, so, but they start dropping heavy clues. But at my point, no, it's like no, it's
0: Gareth no. Malone. Yeah, yes, exactly. Yeah. But, okay, name a choirmaster. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Uh, Gareth Malone sing along a Gareth it is on tour now tickets available at garethmaloneallover.com it does just sound like the best night out it's
4: a lot of fun it's very silly lots of fun
0: yeah 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 uh, just wh- however you're feeling you'll be a little, as you say you'll leave feeling better you will yeah alright good luck thank you thank very you. much for coming to the top of the Hope tower uh, enjoy the rest of your tour thank you bye the
2: Graham Norton radio show with Waitrose food to feel good about Virgin Radio
0: Right, uh, Virgin Radio has been marking Black History Month with a series of documentaries, and tonight uh, there is a programme at 7 o'clock called The Story of the Four Aces Club, and it is fronted by none other than DJ Spoonie, who joins us now. Hello.
7: Hello, Graham. It's been a while. How art thou? Uh,
0: I'm really, really well. Now, where did... Because I know uh, we've hung out a few times. Yes. But I can't remember how or why.
7: (laughs) Okay. well, the last time I appeared on your... Now legendary and iconic chat show with the Sugar Babes were at the launch of our new album Garage Classical. We performed Flowers. Ah, that was yes, the yes, last yes. Time. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. But now you are, are you a Hackney boy? I'm a Hackney boy.
7: Um, so this um this documentary is quite dear to my heart. So uh, yeah, yeah, it means a lot to me. I know the venue inside out. Um, been past it a million times at Dalston Lane because the the record shop was as a budding DJ. The record shop that I used. Was literally around the corner from the venue. So yeah.
0: no, I remember. I remember going past it all the time, and I, I never went in. But tell me, so people listening now, they may not have heard of the Four Aces in Hackney. Why are we talking about it? What makes it uh, such a special club?
7: What makes it special is like Hackney, Hackney and Brixton in London. Um, when the Windrush generation came over from the Caribbean, those were predominantly the two areas uh, that the people from the West Indies came and uh, and lived in, and Dalston, especially, that was like the first club in in Hackney and this club catered for the needs of those coming in from the Caribbean, largely playing reggae and ska uh, music. So that's why it's important at that end. And then the, the cultural importance just carried on as time went on because its roots were firmly placed by them.
0: Because if people, you know, ever passed this club on the bus, they would never have guessed the names that appeared in there. Tell us tell us some of the, the famous names that have graced its stage.
7: I mean, some of the, some of the performers, um, you know, you had people like Desmond Decker, um, Alton Ellis, who's, you know, a, another real iconic and legendary uh, reggae artist. Uh, Percy Sledge has also performed in there, as has Billy Ocean. But then, really... Uh, uh, clubs and venues, you always have great names in there performing, but you get to really get the gravitas of, of, of what a venue means by the people that hang out there in their chill time. And the Four Aces Club has hosted people like Bob Marley and Bob Dylan and Chrissy Hind, uh Mick Jagger. You know, if it's cool, Mick Jagger's going to be there somewhere. So when these guys <laughs> weren't working, that's where they would hang out. And I think um, that just really gives uh, an idea of how important the
0: Four Aces Club was. So, and how it started in the sixties? How long did it keep going for?
7: Well, they had they had the venue in, in, in two main guises for for about thirty years. Um, it started out as a as a reggae club, and then towards the, the latter end of its tenure, it turned into a an acid house rave venue um, called Labyrinth. It changed its name from Four Aces to Labyrinth. So, again, really proven important to its uh, to the culture, the music culture, and the arts element of being in the uk and london you know london's one of the art centers of the world and hackney and those inner cities hackney at that time was at the heart of that so you know again to labyrinth to four races and to newton dunbar we got a doff our cap
0: and so it it's so it closed what 20 years ago yeah
7: it closed actually shut down trading i think um like 97 towards like between 97 and 2000 and then it was demolished uh, Ten years after that, um, so it's not actually traded as a, as a business for like twenty-five years
0: or so. Um, That's such a shame. Like this musical landmark. I mean, what what what's there now?
7: So there's tower blocks there now. They're, they've they've knocked it down. Um, they they put five tower blocks where, where where the venue used to be. I think labyrinth. One of the towers is called labyrinth. One's called Dunbar after Newton Dunbar. One's called Collins. I think who was a co-founder with Newton Dunbar as well. And I can't remember what the other two are called, but there's five tower blocks there that sit right next to Dalston Junction uh, station right over the wall from there's a massive mural that everybody who's from Hackney will remember the, the mural that's on the wall at, uh, at Dalston Junction. It's right opposite there.
0: And tell me that, like, do you, what are your memories of going there? Did you go there as a punter or as a DJ?
7: So as a punter, really, and there were two main clubs in Dalston uh, when I was growing up. One was, oasis and the other one was four aces and oasis was a little bit easier to get into um four aces was where all of the the adults and the grown-ups went to so somewhere there i absolutely wanted to to get in because i was so much into my music so i went in there a couple of times as um as a youngster with my elders and then when labyrinth was there in the you know summer of love at the late 80s then i went in there a little bit more because friends of mine were were djing in there you know uh, Kenny Ken and DJ Ron and Daryl Mr. Music. These are people that I knew personally, so I would. I would go there. It was in my hometown, you know?
0: Yeah. And also, by then, you were becoming a name. So, you know, yeah, DJ Spoonie's here. so good. No, yeah. not,
7: not, no not, not by then, Graham. I was still working. <laughs> I was working in Shortage Job Centre at that time, so no one really cared.
0: <laughs> it's DJ Spoonie from Shortage <laughs> Job Centre. <Yay. laughs> uh, Spoonie, I can't let you go without uh, talking about the success of Garage Classical. This is, it's a big deal now. <laughs>
7: Yeah, it was. I mean, you you were there nice and early in its inception, like I said, when we came on and and did your TV show. Um, Since I think we did the Royal Albert Hall after that, the summer just gone, we did Kew Gardens, which was truly amazing. We had a beautiful Thursday night. Yeah,
0: that must have been so special to do
7: Ah, it. It was glorious. I'd love you to come and see it live, Graham. Because
0: the next ones are in February. Is that right?
7: That's right. We're doing two shows on Friday, the 24th of February at the Royal Festival Hall. Um, doing like a, well, it's not a matinee at all, because it's going to be an evening, but we're doing two shows in the evening. The the venue's glorious, absolutely designed uh, for this kind of show. And uh, yeah, we're just going to give it something a little bit different, tickets on sale.
0: If people have been hiding under a rock and don't know what to expect, so how do you describe Garage Garage Classical to them?
7: Well, uh, I mean, we've taken some of the biggest UK garage records and basically and, and uh reimagine them with a full with a full orchestra. Katie Chapburn is our MD, uh the ignition orchestra, you know, between twenty-six and thirty-six pieces, uh, violins and cellos and trumpets and flutes and a drummer and keyboard player, you know, that we're all there and we have so many of the original vocalists who performed on the the, the garage tracks that were so big around nineteen ninety nine and two thousand and two and we fill venues and make people dance.
0: Wow! I, I must, like it will be in the Royal Festival Hall. It will sound so good. Like to be in a room that is designed for an orchestra. That'll just be amazing.
7: Yeah, it's gonna. It's gonna sound. It's gonna sound big. If you understand what I mean. It's gonna, oh, yeah. The, the performance is gonna jump off the stage, and you know, not only are they amazing vocalists, they're, they're brilliant performers as well. So I'm really excited about the, uh, going to the going to the venue. I last went there when I was at school and I and I went to see, I think either Winter Marsalis or Miles Davis perform there, so I'm I'm looking forward to being on stage this time.
0: Yeah, the Royal Festival Hall will not know what hit it. <laughs> 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 the very foundations of the building. Uh, it's Friday the 24th of February, but uh, obviously you can get your tickets out to so the Royal Festival Hall, Friday the 24th of February, two shows. There's one at seven and another one at half nine. It's a big, exhausting night for yourself, Spoonie. I mean, that. that... Yourself. Yeah, yeah, listen,
7: it, it, it's not too bad. I feel sorry for the, for the actual players. I just sort of come on in between records and talk for a minute or 30 seconds and go back off stage. It's not too hard for me, really. <laughs>
0: <laughs> nice, nice comfortable chair of the wings. but gorgeous. Uh, listen, congratulate. Good luck with that. Uh And uh, I'm looking forward to the documentary tonight on Virgin, 7 o'clock, The Story of the Four Aces. Thank you so much for joining us, Spoonie.
7: Thank you for having me, Graham. Absolutely always a pleasure.
0: Oh, great to talk to you again. Take care of you yourself too, now. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. And hey, have you clicked that follow button on our socials? If not, you are missing out on all the behind-the-scenes action. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Speak soon.
2: The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.